the places, the things that we've done. And God still loves us. Think about in your own life, when people do things that hurt you, when you disagree with them, when you get in fights, sometimes think about how our love fluctuates and our feelings fluctuate on how people treat us and how people act towards us. Now, think of that about God, that no matter what we do, he still loves us. There's a lot of us in here that should be much more thankful for the love of God than we are today. And so that's what we're going to talk about today from on my part is the love of God and how we express ourselves in worship. Now, I'm pretty expressive in worship if you haven't noticed. I'm not someone that just stands and just delivers the song. Like I just I mean, I'm so grateful to the Lord that I can't do I can't just stand there and sing about God. I can't just stand just, oh, yep, God is good. God is good. Oh, yes, his love is great. I want to sit back and, oh, oh. I just can't do that. And so my thought today is, how can so many of us choose that? When a God who loves us so much is the one that we're singing to, that we're using our worship to express our love to him. And yet so many of us come in week after week and maybe we don't even sing. Maybe we just stand. Let's think about that today. And let's be mindful of how we can express our worship to God in a way that shows that. So today I'm going to start in Luke. And the story that probably a lot of us know, we're just going to kind of look at it a little more detailed, I think, today. So Luke uh, 7, starting in verse 36. It says, When one of the Pharisees invited Jesus to have dinner with him, he went to the Pharisee's house and reclined at the table. A woman in that town who lived a sinful life learned that Jesus was eating at the Pharisee's house. So she came there with an alabaster jar full of perfume. As she stood behind him at his feet weeping, she began to wet his feet with her tears. Then she wiped them with her hair, kissed them, and poured perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, This man was a, were a prophet. He would know who was touching him and what kind of woman she is, that she is a sinner. Jesus answered him, Simon, I have something to tell you. Tell me, teacher, he said. Two people owed money to a certain moneylender. One owed him 500 denarii and the other 50. Neither of them had the money to pay him back, so he forgave the debts of both. Now which of them will love him more, Simon replied. I suppose the one who had the bigger debt forgiven. You have judged correctly, Jesus said. Then he turned toward the woman and said to Simon, Do you see this woman? I came into your house. You did not give me any water for my feet, but she wet my feet with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You do not give me a kiss, but this woman from the time I entered has not stopped kissing my feet. You do not put oil on my head, but she has poured perfume on my feet. Therefore, I tell you, her many sins have been forgiven, as her great love has shown. But whoever has been forgiven little, loves little. Then Jesus said to her, your sins are forgiven. 
what an amazing story that we're just like, oh, yeah, we've heard that. We're good. Oh, she's so kind. Look at her. She came in and washed Jesus' feet. But let's think about the story. So everyone knew she was a sinful woman, every single person. And yet she still came because she heard Jesus would be there. She knew immediately when she walked in that all those other people were going to be judging her. And they were. Looking at her, whispering about her, talking about her to her face and behind her back. But yet she came anyways to pour out her worship on Jesus. And yet, it's funny that he came into someone's house that, he, that had been invited. He had been invited by him to come. And yet, was in no way treated the same as this woman who was supposed to be so sinful, so horrible. And yet, she's the one who expressed her love to Jesus. Let's think about that coming into church Sunday after Sunday. How many of us come in... Uh, we love Jesus. We're good Christian people. We come. And then we see, oh, so-and-so. Oh, yeah, we know. We know about them. Oh, yeah, we saw them out. Oh, I've heard all those stories about them. And they're just worshiping away and how judgmental we can be in the church. And then we don't ever look at ourselves. So that person's here worshiping God. God has done so much for them, forgiven them. And we, all we want to do is think about what they've done in the past. And yet, are we taking the time to do our own worship in that moment? Or are we spending our worship time, which is supposed to be to him, focused on someone else and their story? What's hard is we don't, the thing is, we don't know everyone's story and we see them and we want to judge and we want to say things, but you don't know where they've been. You don't know the struggles they've had. Maybe you do on some counts, but other parts, and you see them just worshiping away. They're crying. Oh, they cry every week. I don't understand why they cry every week. That's because you don't know them and you don't know in their heart the love of God, what that means to them, where he's brought them from. I think we get so focused on ourselves that we don't see people through God's eyes, what we talked about a couple weeks ago. And we just judge them. Oh, they're so loud. They jump around. And it's like, you know why? Because they used to be addicted to drugs. And guess what? They're no longer addicted to drugs and God brought them out. That's why they're so happy. That's why they come and they lift their hands and tears are streaming down their face. Because God has changed their life. And they are so grateful. So grateful. Because they were in the pit and he brought them out. And yet, here we sit week after week. Oh, they're so, oh, I just wish they'd just simmer down. I just wish they'd chill out. And instead, when we could be expressing our love at the same level, because guess what? He's done so many things for us. If he has done nothing else but die on the cross from you, for you and save you, that should be enough to come in here every week with your hands up in the air, tears in your eyes, singing out to God. And if it's not enough then we got a problem. We have a big problem. Think about what she did. So we think about feet washing and like, I think the majority of us wear shoes and socks these days. And 
most of us shower probably regularly. So our feet are probably not the consistency of what Jesus and the disciples' feet and those people at that time were like. So they wore sandals, most of them probably, or not. They walked on dirt roads that lots of people traveled on, lots of animals traveled on. We'll just leave that there. And yet, it never says in the story, oh, she knelt down to Jesus' feet, and then she was like, oh, bad idea. Does it ever say that? Does she, does she pause like, oh, bad idea. Maybe I should just give him a hug and then go on my way. No. She, the tears were already coming. She had already made the decision whether his feet were the nicest feet in the world or the worst, that she was going to fall at his feet and to wash his feet. And yet, some of us week after week come in here, and we don't even have to wash Jesus' feet in the physical, but we won't even raise one hand in the air to express our love in a physical way to Jesus. I mean, is this story challenging you today at all? Like, do you see where we are in our nation as the church? That, oh, well, I just don't want people, I don't want them to see me raise my hands. Okay. I mean, you're at church, so I would say the majority of people more than likely, usually at least raise their head one time during a worship, well, at least once, we'll go there. Uh, so this is a safe place to express your love to Jesus. Like if, if you're worried about having to do it outside, like at work, I'm not, I'm not asking you to get up in the, your cubicle and just, thank you, Lord, I just love Jesus so much. I'm just asking you to do it here, like in a safe place to worship and express with other people who are more than likely doing the same thing. So think about that. She came in. There's no telling what Jesus' feet look like. I think we often like think that Jesus was in this bubble and that he just floated around and he, his feet were never dirty and he never slept or, you know. I mean, I just think we always think he, but he came down in human flesh. So the problems we had, he, now he, in the body, he had the same things. Like he was human, okay? So his feet were probably dirty, and yet, she didn't care because her love for him was so overwhelming because he didn't look at her like everyone else did. He saw her for who she really was, a child of the king. And here she is expressing herself and her love for Jesus. To me, that's so challenging because there's some weeks you come in and you're tired and all of those things and you think, oh, out of worship. And it's like, but think of what he did for you. And all our stories are different in, in all kinds of ways. But he's done so much for us. And I don't think we even, even think about that like we should. And this story just really brought that to, to my attention that Jesus even loves us at our worst. So think of the worst thing you have ever done in your life. Get that memory? Maybe you don't want to think about it. But think about that. And then think about that Jesus still loved you. To me, I would just stand up and raise my hands right then and there because it's like, I know no one else would love me at that point. Your parents might. 
At least they'd say most times they would. But whether, whether it always be true, but God, no matter what, he always loves us. Even in our mess, he's there for us. That should be enough, church. That should be enough to come in Sundays during your week in your own personal time and to express your love, hands raised, voice strong. Who cares if you're on tune or not? Nobody. Sing it out because of what he's done for you. That should be enough. For some of you, maybe it won't. Maybe it'll set in, but hopefully it will be enough because I just think of the worst things people have done in life and that God still loves them. Even the people who were like, oh, there's no way God could love them. He loves them. He loves them. And if you don't believe, look at Luke 15, that whole chapter. So it's focusing on the shepherd leaving the 99 for the one. For the one. So he's got 99 sheep. He's probably going to be fine. 99, oh, one goes, okay, see ya. But he leaves the 99 and he goes after the one. And we think about the prodigal son. Goes away, does all kinds of craziness, ends up living with pigs, and returns home and is welcomed with a party. That is the love of God, people. That is the love of God. Now, it doesn't mean that you just keep doing crazy stuff all the time. But what it means is, once you realize you're doing crazy stuff, he's there for you, you run to his arms, and he will embrace you. That's what that means. That's what that means. Worship is love express God's way. I think a lot of us growing up in church, we've seen crazy things, you know, from time to time where we like expression of worship has gone like from, oh, we're all just going to stand to like rolling around doing cartwheels and stuff like that. So if you've been in church a while, you kind of get a little, at least I do, maybe I'm the only one, but a little bit paranoid about like, oh, there's weird stuff happening. But listen, if the spirit is moving, and I'm going to say that one more time, if the spirit is moving, it's okay. Are we, do we get that? So if it's you just wanting to do cartwheels down the center aisle, oh, don't do it. Don't do it. But if God is telling you to come down to the altar with your hands up in the air and just singing out, you better do it. You better do it and not care about what people think about you. Why don't people go to the altar anymore? Because we care about what all these other people sitting around are thinking of us. Who cares? We're all messed up. Can we all admit that this morning? We are all messed up people. If you want to come down to the altar because the Lord is putting that on your heart, you need to get down here, then do it. Who cares about what the person five rows across from you thinks? They probably should be in the altar also. Right? We are all messed up people who need a Savior, and he loves us. That should be enough to come in here and to worship him. Do we agree? Awesome. Pastor, I'll just give it to you. I love that we have a passionate worship leader. Who's responsible for your worship? 
Who's responsible for you to be passionate? You are. I'm going to be more on the practical side this morning and um, just talk about what the biblical expressions of worship are. Sometimes, if, if you don't know, depending, like Caleb said, depending on the church you grow up in, it was from no outward display, because uh, that's irreverent. Everything's supposed to be quiet and solemn, to no order where people are doing backflips, and now we've expanded that. And, and again, I, I'm not here to judge anybody else, but I don't know how kung fu water painting for the Lord is worship. But we've just opened up the floodgates of whatever I feel is an expression of worship, and I'm here to tell you not everything we feel is an expression of worship. There is stuff that the Bible would say, you're not worshiping me at all. It's more about you. You're, you're doing that. And yes, it feels good. There's adrenaline flow. There's some, there's some chemical changes going on inside of you. But that doesn't mean it's God and it doesn't mean it's the Spirit. And so I just want to lay some stuff on you here with, with this as the umbrella that goes over it. How many of you have ever heard a verse, or, and maybe you don't know the address of it, and, and the, the address of it in the Bible isn't as important, but it says something crazy like this. Every knee will bow, and every tongue will confess. Have you heard that before? Now, when's the last time you actually did that? You see, we got a problem on the West Coast of being a bunch of rebellious hellraisers that will do about anything, but if I said this morning that the requirement for worship is for you to kneel... Because the Bible says that every knee... Isn't that funny? We expect... I think that there's a lot of Christians that say that, speaking of the world. You just wait, world. Every knee is going to bow. And every tongue's going to confess. Now, I'm not going to do it in worship. But those sinners out there, every knee is going to bow. How about the New Testament where it says, you believe there's a God? Great. Even the demons believe and they Tremble. You see, there's something inside of us that doesn't want to bend a knee. There's something inside of us that doesn't want to bow. Something inside of us that thinks, that's got nothing to do with it. I can intellectually worship God. And that's why I say that's only part of the equation, because in doing so, what you're saying is, it's about me. It's about how I feel. Now, again, there's things that some of us feel more comfortable than others, and and I also believe that what we do, we should do well. We should do it to honor God, okay? And so these are not mandatory, but these are great biblical uh, pointers for us that if your thought of worship is to sit and watch, that's not a biblical representation of worship anywhere. That's a sign that you're dead. That's just the way that it is. Here we go. How do we express our worship biblically? Great question. With our voices. Audible praise. Somewhere we've, we've lost our voice. Somewhere uh, we hope that the music's loud enough that nobody hears me. And then the question is, can you give him praise when there's no worship? Can you give him praise when nobody else is around? When you're just by yourself, can you give him audible praise? Or do you even know what to say? And audible means to be heard. I'm not talking about your inner monologue. I'm talking about have you ever given him audible 
praise. And, and I don't mean saying, oh, thank God. That's, that's, you can use that any place. Even, even the world that doesn't follow God says, thank God. How about singing? We all have the ability to sing, not all of us well, right? But it doesn't say that. It just says singing, right? And I don't know about you, but I've seen people, I can't even hear what they're seeing, but I drive up and down Ocean Beach quite a bit, and I see people jamming out inside their cars. And, and I think sometimes that's kind of funny because I'm like looking over and they're oblivious to the world around them, and they're pounding out a bead on the steering wheel, and they're gripping the steering wheel, and they're just belting it out, and I have no idea what song they're listening to unless they've got up loud enough that it filters out. But it's funny that they're not embarrassed by that. Why should we be embarrassed to sing to God? I love the story that Caleb shared of the woman. You think of the fact that everybody in that village knew her, and yet she had the boldness to come before everybody. And look at the heart of the man that invited Jesus. If he really was a man of God, if he really was a prophet, he'd know what manner of woman she is. And he would tell her to stop or get away or, aren't you thankful that God doesn't do that with us? Because he does know what manner of people we are. And we have to get over the fact that just because we're saved, we've got to remember where we came from, church. We've got to remember who we were at our core is sinful, hateful, despicable people that it's only by God's mercy that he went to the cross for us. Nobody's special. Nobody deserves it. And even those Pharisees didn't get it. They're like, we're special. How could she do that? She, if, if, she's a sinner. We're all sinners. Saved by the grace of God. How about shouting? And I'm going to tell on, uh, they're not here anymore, and, and it's not a name, but it's right here in this church. Sometimes pastors hear stories and they make stuff up from another church. This is right here in this church. I, I've had a couple uh, elderly ladies leave because we talked about shouting. I've never shouted in my life, pastor. There's no place for shouting in worship. I don't even know why we need to raise our voice. Well, it's because you didn't read the Bible. But it's what you're, you know, here's the thing. Did God say worship in the manner in which you're comfortable? I don't think he's ever said that, has he? God is in the business of calling us into places where he pulls our flesh away and he engages us in our spirit, and that's not comfortable. Admitting that we're sinners is not comfortable. Kneeling is not comfortable. Praying out loud, it's not comfortable, but it's what Christians are called to do. Whether you're comfortable with it or not, he's never said, hey, follow me if you're comfortable with that, guys. Confess your sins if you're comfortable with that. Worship me if you're comfortable with that. That just seems so out of whack. But somehow that's how we've made it, that if I feel comfortable with that. I'm not asking you to feel comfortable with it. I'm asking you to honor God Almighty. I'm asking you to put your flesh down, and maybe you'll find some freedom in your ability to step past your comfort zone. I remember being there. I was a person that held down the chair in worship that somehow that was filled with helium. It was going to go to the ceiling if I let go of this thing. 
And I've also been in a church, thank God, not here, where when I used to have to sit up on the platform, which is a horrible place to sit if you are on worship, because <laughs> you can see what people are and aren't doing. And as a young, impressionable youth pastor, I remember sitting up there and watching a person cutting their nails during worship. I guess they just didn't feel comfortable with the standard form of worship. I guess they were just cutting their nails for Jesus. Now you tell me, if you walked in and saw somebody cutting their nails in the sanctuary, you'd say, oh, what an awesome form of worship. Oh, my gosh. They must love Jesus. And you can sit there this morning and say, well, Pastor, you can't judge their heart. Yes, I can. Because that is not an outward sign of somebody that's engaged in worshiping the creator of all the world. That is somebody that's distracted. That is somebody that is checked out. Anybody can do that. I mean, you don't see that. I mean, do that during a job interview and have your boss say, man, you are so focused right now. We've relegated it back to some crazy place of where I feel comfortable. It's never comfortable. It never will be comfortable. Maybe we can step out, but then there's always a deeper level that he's calling us to. And the scripture even says that deep calls to deep. He's calling to deep places in us to free us and to move us into an intimate relationship with him. But we don't want to get uncomfortable. But he's called us to be uncomfortable. Even shouting. We do it to our kids. We do it to our teams. We do it all over the place. And yet we won't shout for the glory of God. I'm just not that kind of a person. Let's see what happens when your kids act up. We showed that video last week where we kind of debunked some of this stuff that, yeah, you do that on the outside. You just don't do it here. We also express worship with our hands. Right? Right? Lifting our hands. Pastor, that's, what if I got like armpit stains and nobody's looking at you? Jesus loves your armpit stains anyway. And if nothing else, it's just a sign I surrender. <laughs> right? And I've told this story way too many times, but it's the truth. It made so much sense to me when I finally got it, you know. Before I got saved, I knew what it was to be bound, not just in here. But I've been arrested before. And you never see anybody in handcuffs, woo, shouting the victory. Most of the time you can't. They're chained around your waist. when you're free and when you know something has happened how can you not how can you not worship the king of kings how can you not reach out to him clapping our hands we do it for corny little church productions we do it for preschoolers that can't even sing songs We do it when our kids learn something. Oh, you almost rode the bike. Good job. And I think think most people are fairly comfortable with clapping for God, but that is such a small expression 
of adoration. Because we do that for people. We do it for the smallest of things. I mean, we do it for guys making a putt. Playing instruments. God has given some the skill to play instruments, and that's a form of worship. And he says, those that have been given that skill, those that have been given that gifting, use your hands to, to worship me, and that is awesome. And last, the part that's the hardest of all is we express our worship with our posture. Did you know that? Our posture, listen, almost everybody here, you understand this. 80% of our communication is nonverbal, right? You read how somebody's receiving you or not, you're talking to them and they're like, they don't have to say a word. Or they're leaning in, listening. You see their face, you see their eyes, you see their posture, Right? Husbands, you know this. You walk in, the wife's standing there, and you say, how are you doing? And she gives you that look. And before she even says that that dreaded word that no husband wants to hear, she says, fine. You've read it all in her posture, and if you didn't read it in her posture, you're in for a night, my friend. Maybe you miss the tone. Maybe you miss the posture. You go to hug her and it feels like you're gripping a marble statue. Have you noticed it now? You go to kiss her on the lips and you get the ear. <laughs> Are you reading the nonverbals now? 80% of our communication and 80% of our worship to God is about our posture because it says a lot about what's going on on the inside. Standing. And I understand if at a certain time in our lives our knees get out, our, we just get tired and old and decrepit, and I get that. But I still believe we can be engaged whether we can't stand or not. But those of us that can It's a sign of honor. It's a sign of reverence. It's a sign of respect and authority. I mean, they do it for important people. Why would we not do it for our God? And I'm just going to tell you on this next one, I struggle. Dancing. It's in the Bible. Now, I don't know what happened somewhere along the line. The church, especially conservative churches, that we don't believe in dancing. And I think it's because people do it so poorly that that's why they that's why they don't believe in dancing but the truth is that they equated dancing with ballrooms and brothels and beer halls and all that worldly stuff and yet guess where it came from it started in the bible david danced the people danced and and believe me you may say hey i, I can't get into these new worship you wouldn't feel anywhere comfortable in hebrew worship where they actually danced as they sang Uh, I'll just opt out. <laughs> now, I'm not talking about weirdness. I'm not talking about anybody getting up and break dancing. 
But maybe in your private worship, if you can break dance for God and you're good at it, then break dance for God. (laughs) And if you're really bad at it and it's just not your thing, aren't you thankful it's not a command? But it is still an expression, an outward expression of what's going on. Isn't that funny that we're okay with dancing at weddings? Or we take a, I, I, my wife and I, I, I love my wife so much <laughs> that when we were able to take one of our cruises, she said, wouldn't it be fun to do like a, a dance class and we learn to dance and everything that was inside me said no. Because <laughs> I'm just a straight-up vanilla guy that these things don't attach to my brain. I mean, for most of us, this is dancing. I'm safe here. Okay? But you want me to, like, do steps and twirls and move in circles and stay on time? That's way, way too much for me. But I did it out of love. That wouldn't have been something I chose. And I'm not suggesting that you have to learn to dance. I'm just saying that some of these expressions, that's, you, we see way out there. I mean, we've got people here that I'm not even sure I can stand. And there's other people who are like, man, I want to dance before the Lord. And this last one, and again, it's kind of in a descending order here. Bowing and kneeling and we go all the way back to week one when we were talking about this, that the actual word proskuneo means to bow down, to lay on your face and reach yourself toward God. And it's going to sound radical for just a minute, so, so just hang on. It's been several years ago now that a, a French writer in the Middle East was actually imprisoned and and publicly caned, if you don't know what that means, look it up, for doing a caricature of Muhammad, their God, their prophet. And the people that practiced Islam were so enraged that they seized this guy, tried him, and put him on trial that he would lower their prophet, their God, down to a human level. What would happen if you and I, every time we heard the name Jesus, we bowed? In reverence, in respect of the name of Jesus Christ, that every knee will bow. And every time, what would that show the world? Maybe they would say, that dude's crazy. Or would it show the worth and the value of what we say we believe? And again, I'm not suggesting that that this becomes some ultra-religious practice, but do you understand the heart of what I'm saying? That we say these things and we sing these things, but it seems like we never do these things.
physical expression of worship is really a lordship issue. Who controls my body? Who controls my emotions? Who is the Lord of me? Me or him? That's why I believe he put him in emotion to see, you say you're going to serve me with all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, just not your body. Just not your voice. Just not your hands. You're never going to kneel. Or do we have to carefully unwrap some of the the weirdness that we've experienced? Do we have to maybe go beyond our comfort zone? Say, Lord, what is what does worship look like for me? What is maybe you just gotta find a place to start. Like I said, for me it was just deciding to let go of the chair. And I didn't go from letting go of the chair to raising my hands or clapping or shouting and audible praise. And it didn't happen in a day. It happened as I became more free. And then along the way, I started to think, we sing about bowing. How come we'd ever do that? And then when I hear that word bow, I, I do now. And you know what? Nobody's ever pointed at me and laughed that I know about. Maybe the people behind me. I, I don't know, but, you know, I really don't care. And that's really, to me, what this is really about. Are we, are wor- are we worshiping for others to see? Or are we worshiping for a God we're going to embrace and engage with? And this is tough, especially in your 20s where you got to dress right and act right and talk right and you got to be cool and it's not cool to be uncool. And, and I'll tell you, sometimes the coolest thing to do for God is to make your way here and lay yourself at an altar regardless of what people think. Ooh, I wonder what's going on with him. You know what I think most people are thinking? I wish I had that freedom. These are just biblical expressions. Thank God they're not commands or we'd all fail. But I just wanted to maybe challenge you to say, hey, maybe I got to move beyond my accustomed form of worship. And, And I did the search. Believe me, you go and do the search. There is nowhere in the Bible where it says that worship is about sitting and watching. That's not worship. It was never a spectator sport. And I think that's a misnomer. There are no spectator sports. There are sports that we spectate, but you're not playing a sport if you're spectating. You're just watching. And he hasn't called us to watch. He's called us to engage. And sometimes, even amazingly, he just says, stand and see the salvation of the Lord. He never says sit and watch. 
Prepare yourself for what I'm about to do. He's, it's always an action with God. He's always calling us to engage with Him and, and move beyond what we're comfortable with. That's the God we serve. And maybe you have to make up your mind. Maybe I don't want to serve Him. At least make up your mind. But we have to get past thinking that our disrespect and our distractedness is a customary form that's acceptable. I'm telling you, it's not acceptable. It's not worship. And yes, it's your right as an American, but it's not your right as a Christian. Those are two very different things.